Today's show is brought to you by IBM. Technology today has never been smarter, but smart only matters when you put it to good use. Together, we can build a smarter future for all of us. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com smart. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we're going to play an interview from the 2018 Code Conference, which I co-produced with Recode's executive editor, Peter Kafka. This is an interview I did with Linda McMahon, the co-founder of WWE, who's now in the Trump administration, leading the Small Business Administration. Let's take a listen. I thought it was really important that tech, which is, you know, more li- on the liberal end and more democratic in general, um, also hears from lots of things, including people in the Trump administration. And so I was casting around uh, for someone who I could invite. And of all things, and I, I told her this backstage, uh, I edited a podcast with Anthony Scaramucci, uh, which was fantastic. Um, and we talked for 90 minutes, and he suggested Linda. And at the minute he did, I thought, this is great. Someone who's an entrepreneur, um, someone who's in an area of entrepreneurship, in an area of the government, and someone who, so far, uh, as the New York Times caller, is non-objectionable. So, uh, so I'll read the piece from the New York Times, but she's terrific. Linda, come on out. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Um, so I, I was repeating for those, Linda is the 25th administrator of the U.S. Small Business Association. I'm going to read the New York Times. There's a piece about you, a little, just not too long ago, that said two things. Mrs. McMahon has distinguished herself as a rare high-ranking administration official deemed broadly unobjectionable. <laughs> and then they said, there is no other cabinet member who understands Mr. Trump as Ms. McMahon does. And then third was a quote from Donald Trump, which is, she's a killer. Um, so in the piece... <laughs> So one of the reasons uh, Anthony thought I should have you is because he said you're a badass, and I'm a badass, so I thought it would be a good pairing. Um, so I want to start to talk on that first thing. Let's talk about Mr. Trump. So tell us what we don't know or aren't getting in Silicon Valley about him, because we're getting a lot of tweets is what we're getting, and they're problematic for some of us. Um, so talk about that. What doesn't, don't people get about him? Well, I think the good thing about tweets is you can see that he's, a, he's adapted to technology. Yes, he is. Which is good. good. Yeah, he's super good at it. <laughs> I've known uh, the president probably about 20, 25 years. Right. And uh, he is really a consummate businessman. He really assesses the details pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a real depth of understanding of the issues that he's dealing with. Mm-hmm. I think he brings good people around him. I'd say that. Right. Um, but he... Um, when you go in to sit with him, to have a meeting with him, he expects you to really know your stuff. Right. Uh, he pro- he's probative. Uh, he asks questions. He is a really good listener. Uh, and I think, he gives, um, I think he gives good direction. At least that's been my experience. In your him. experience, the SBA. Mm-hmm. So why does it feel so out of control? What do you attribute it to? Because it, it feels, it's so divisive. It feels so, there's so, so partisanship is so high. How do you look at that when you're trying to get things done? And I want to get to what the SBA is doing and what you're doing mm-hmm. now, because you're actually making progress and, and aren't in the news and aren't like under investigation or various things. <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you think, how do you look at when, you, when it, it's created, in large part by these tweets about these statements and things like that? How do you get things done then? 
Well, I don't have any problem getting things done, and the president's getting a lot done. Mm -hmm. uh, clearly, he's gotten tax cuts through. We've had a lot of regulation rollback. There are a lot of things on the table right now with, uh, with the international diplomacy that he's working on, potential deal that he's looking at with North Korea. I think he's done an awful lot uh, since he's been in office. He's one of the hardest working presidents, I think, uh, you know, we've had a long time in history. And uh, he is indefatigable and really focuses on what he's doing, right. really cares but about what he's doing. But the partisanship, it's there's, raised there's high. partisanship, yeah, absolutely, there's partisanship. But it's, you know, the nice part about being at SBA mm -hmm. is that almost every uh, member of Congress that I deal with says that SBA is probably the least partisan agency because everybody's concerned about small businesses helping the economy grow. So. Mm -hmm. I do have a, a little bit of a unique position there right? Which uh, to is, not be dealing so much you know, with the partisanship. But what happens with this partisanship in this environment? Because I can't believe you think this is a good dialogue going on among and between Americans. Well, I would certainly like to see there to be more agreement uh, that's going on. But I do think the president raises issues. He sticks with them and he pushes them forward. Um, and he'll, he'll create disruption. Uh, but that disruption, I think, in the end, uh, is getting things done. I would like to see a little less rhetoric. I would like to see a little less, you know, uh, at each other. At each other. So what? But, but we are. From? But we are clearly. We are clearly accomplishing a lot, and he is doing it. But what's the cost of that when you have these kind of personal invectives? And they're, they are, Linda. You know, they are. Sec what do I call you, administrator? How about Linda? Linda, okay, good. Linda works. Um, so um, I want to give you your right honorific uh, if you need it. Um, but what is the cost of this? Because it does feel like every, this country does feel a little, like, and it starts at the top with these very angry treats, which are disturbing on, and on any level from anyone. Um, how do you move that to a different place? Because it, it feels as if that's, it's not going, it, this is two years in now and it doesn't feel like it's going away. Well, I think success is one of the things that's going to help moderate that a bit. And he's having success. This administration is having success. We just need to have more of it. Um, but it's, um, he's, he's clearly, he pushes at his own pace and I don't think that's gonna stop. But I think the success factor will bring more people into that camp. Into that camp, that they don't mind the, the partisanship, that they don't. Well, I think, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, like Brad said just a little bit earlier in your interview, right. I think there is a place for people to come together to have some compromise on issues, and I think we'll see more of that. All right, we'll, we'll get back into this, but let's talk about the SBA for a minute. Um, you've targeted some certain things. One of the success areas you've had is in uh, loans mm -hmm. to uh, women, more loans to women, the hurricane relief. With how many billions are going out there? Oh, gosh, we've... Uh... Six billion, I think. Yeah, it's about, uh, there's about $6.7 billion last year, right. hurricane relief. And I was just, you know, just thinking about where that was. And as we're coming into the new season, you know, we've already got stuff going on in Maryland with flooding. It's not just hurricanes, it's flooding. It's, we haven't yet uh, gotten any kind of report yet from Hawaii for those uh, disasters to be right. declared, if you will, so right. that we can move in. But SBA guarantees loans, doesn't actually make the loans. Right, exactly. So talk about why you decided to do this. Here you are, you're running, we're going to talk about WWE in a second and what, what being an entrepreneur is like. Uh, but you were running WWE, uh, successful business, and, and lots of, we'll talk about the history of that, but when you were running, you wanted to take out the SBA and move it into commerce, and then when you were in front of Congress, you said, well, 
I said that at the time because you thought you'd do cost savings. I think that was what you said in your testimony or something like that. But talk about what you, how you conceived of going into the SBA and what well, it does because I, what do you feel like its role is? Well, actually, just for a correction right. uh, on, on what you said, when I was talking about should SBA become part of commerce, right. I was running for the Senate and Connecticut right. during and that particular Yeah, I want to time. talk about that. So what we were talking about really was how do we combine programs, et cetera, right. and there was... Uh, President Obama had suggested that. Yes, he had too. And That's right. So I said I would look at combining different agencies. That could be one of them. Wasn't necessarily saying SBA should be combined under commerce. But I thought that if we have duplicative agencies and duplicative programs, we ought to combine them. And I'll tell you, there's sometimes, you know, there can be 270-some programs doing one thing in different agencies. And so we should look at them. How do you conceive them. of what you're doing now? And, and one of the topics we, where I was talking about and I've been talking about is this how to create jobs within this country and move tech there in places mm -hmm. and try to encourage tech investment in places. Well, how do you conceive of what you're doing? Because a lot of these jobs are gonna come from small businesses, presumably well, the, tech businesses. Well, they are, and SBA really, um, you know, our job is to, is to counsel those who would like to uh, you know, develop businesses that counsel entrepreneurs, to provide mentoring for them, mm -hmm. to help them get government contracts because the, the government is the largest employer they buy more goods and services than anyone in the country. And so there are government contracts that often small businesses have a niche to get in there, often as a subcontractor to a, a larger company. Mm -hmm. So we do those two things. And then we have a really robust guaranteed loan program, different programs, 7A program, uh, which we provide guarantee loans to uh, small businesses. Now, let me back up for a second. These are loans that those that are applying for these loans can't get credit elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So the government guarantees a portion of these loans so that these entrepreneurs want to be entrepreneurs sometimes, those who are already in business, can get access to this capital to start or to grow. But I find that not only is access to capital key, but that mentoring program mm -hmm. and that technical assistance, if you will, I think is key to these uh, entrepreneurs being successful. So there's several kinds of loan programs. The 7A is the most popular, um, and that was about 25 billion, uh, of all our loan programs, about $25 billion mm -hmm. last year. And about mm, 30 to 33% of those did go to women, mm -hmm. which is really good. We have 504 loan programs. That's more um, for real estate and equipment. And these are um, you know, lower interest rates, longer term. And that's why these loans are attractive also for people who can't get them. Uh, we have a microloan program that uh, we give grants then to uh, typically 501c3 companies who mm -hmm. then make awards. And that's up to about $50,000 per loan. And the average is about 14,000. A large portion of those loans are going to women, also going to uh, minorities to help start their businesses. So it's really giving a good platform uh, for businesses, for businesses to, to start. Create. We're going to take a quick break now from a word from our sponsors. We'll be back with this interview from the Code Conference after this. Today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever need to send money internationally? Sure. Your bank or PayPal can get your money from A to B, but that transfer will cost you more than it should. A lot more. That's the old way of doing things. Let me tell you about the new, smarter, and cheaper way to send money internationally, TransferWise. TransferWise was founded by two friends, Tavit and Christo, who were frustrated by their bank's bad exchange rates and high fees. They wondered, what if we could bypass the banks entirely? So they built TransferWise. 
That was seven years ago. Today, more than two million people use TransferWise, people sending money home, businesses paying suppliers, freelancers getting paid, the list goes on. TransferWise's clever new technology gives you a great exchange rate and a low fee. So it'll put some extra money in your pocket for more important things. No one has ever said it's important that my bank gets some extra money. Test it out for free at transferwise.com slash podcast or download the app. Once again, that's transferwise.com slash podcast. It's the wise way to send money. One of the things that a lot of people feel is the tech industry's doing lots of innovations, mm -hmm. and a lot of these innovations are job-destroying. Now, people debate this back and forth, whether it's true, but they worry about the responsibility. Who's responsible? Say, take self-driving, for example. Mm -hmm. Eliminating lots of small jobs, a lot of small businesses along the way. If you, if you don't have malls, you don't have insurance companies, you don't have you know, mechanics, it starts to really iterate down into the society. What's the responsibility you think tech has to move, to, to be part of this, to, to help this out? Or, or should it just be government guaranteeing these businesses that are typically run by women, people of color, people that don't, aren't easily able to get this venture capital money that everybody gets. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that. What is, when you look at the tech industry, what is their responsibility to doing that? Well, if I could digress just for a second and talk sure. a little bit as to how government, uh, especially through programs that SBA looks at, is able to help innovation in tech. Because I think, uh, I still believe that America needs to be the number one technology you know, country in the world, and we need to continue to invest in that. So. Uh, if you look at the um, Department of Science, which is part of uh, the Department of Energy, right. they support 17 labs around the country. They own 17 labs. You know, one of them is um, uh, you know, located in Livermore, Lawrence yeah, Livermore Lab, the Sandia Lab. Um, so they are actually on the forefront of all of the technology um, discovery and development. So what they are doing is working more with the small business community to make sure that, that uh, those inventions, that technology that they're working on goes to small businesses so that it can be commercialized, mm -hmm. so that it can actually be developed and applied. So when you have those labs that are government owned or, and, uh, and government run at like 30 some billion dollars a year going into that kind of research, mm -hmm. We're going to continue to have the technological development. Also, SBA, and we'll get around to answering your question, then uh, SBA has a program called SBIR, which is all about um, innovation with technology. It manages a program for 11 agencies across the government. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about $2.5 billion. Each of those 11 agencies have to put in about 3.2% of their extramural uh, investments in technology, and SBA manages that. And this is all for startups, for, uh, for technology development. So these are some of the ways that government is actually helping to develop and continue to innovate. So you're in really technology. about big government, Linda. That's really oh, no, fascinating. No, no, no. I'm kidding. No, no, no. It's those dollars yeah. that are going to small businesses. Right. I get that. I get that. But so the idea, I mean, because some of the message from the, Trumps, mm -hmm. the, the Trump administration is that government isn't the solution to people's problems, but you feel like there should be a role to aiding. How do you uh, absolutely. I do think that government has a role in aiding to do that. And these development projects, I think, are, are incredibly important for help us stay on the cutting edge of what's going on in innovation because a lot of companies cannot put in the resources for this innovation, this development, and this research. Research, not only general research, but applied research. Mm -hmm. So 
let's make sure that we so have that continue. what responsibility does tech have to do that? Because, you know, venture capitalists, they invest in New York a little bit, a little bit in Austin, mm -hmm. mostly in Silicon Valley, and not elsewhere. Well, I, let's, take, let's take, for example, one company, UTC, that you might not consider just a tech company. It's in Connecticut. I know a little bit about UT, UTC because I live there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I happened to have been there last week and talked to the CEO, Greg Hayes, and actually SBA signed a partnership agreement to help them in their supply training because the supply chain of parts and materials come from small businesses generally into the large businesses. But one of the things that UTC is doing as a tech company to help develop uh, more of, of its workforce is to retrain people who are already there to help them keep up with changing technology mm -hmm. and also to work together with universities or other companies in apprenticeships and partnerships, all to continue to develop you know, this workforce. And I do think that that's where tech companies can, can be part of the leading edge bigger companies in that regard, but they can help the smaller companies help develop that workforce. Do you think you have a good relationship with the Trump administration has a good relationship with the tech community? There's no science advisor uh, anymore. There's no CTO. There's no, a um, lot of the positions that had previously, mm -hmm. in previous, both Republican and Democrat had been there. Do you think it's a it's an innovation and technology oriented administration? Because, oh, again, I do. Because again, Look, some of Donald Trump's tweets about Amazon, mm -hmm. all of them. Like, he goes after tech quite, quite a bit. Um, well, I was talking with the Undersecretary of, um, of Science uh, last week or week before, and he was telling me a lot about these programs that they're working on. Uh, and he said, you know, you'll be pleased to know, he said uh, that the president recommended and has authorized a 16% increase in our innovation studies and experimentation and, uh, because he believes in what we need to do. So it was very good news for me to hear mm -hmm. uh, and to make sure that uh, we do have our science division out of energy, so continuing to focus on development of this technology, which I think is amazing. So why isn't there a head of the science and technology? This isn't your job, but wouldn't you want a head of the science and technology I, yeah, and division? I don't know that this that, is two years. I, I don't know that there, one, uh, there isn't one that hasn't been um, suggested. I don't know that. Right. But that, that, you would imagine that's important for innovation. Oh, I think so, but I know the undersecretary is very keyed in on that as well. All right, let's talk a little bit about um, bringing... By, by the way, I think, I think this is the most fun time, you know, to be in business and technology and right. all the things that are happening. Right. Uh, you know, with, with AI, machine learning, and, and all of that. And we have to make sure, you know, that we, as jobs are displaced by that increased technology, that we are reskilling and retraining that workforce to take different and jobs. you think government should have this, it should be a key player in this? I think they should have, I think it should be a partnership with the private sector, but typically, you know what, private sector leads. Right. And I think uh, that's typically how things get done. Well, let's talk about immigration then, because Brad brought it up, and then I want to talk about WWE. Um, when there is this difficulty around DACA, around immigration, about the rhetoric that goes on, and we talked about political theater, immigration has been critical to that in this country. How do you look at it? Because a lot of small businesses are started by people who come to this country. Um, and, and look, Satya Nadella, head of Microsoft, an immigrant. Sergey Brin, an immigrant. Elon Musk, an immigrant. It goes on and on and on. Sure. Right. So how do you look at that when this, there's this rhetoric coming out of the administration and then there's a fighting in Congress? What does that do for our country when other countries are more welcoming of, well, and what's at the heart of our innovation? Well, I think that the one thing the president has constantly said, he, he, is, he is for legal immigration. 
he is against illegal immigration. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he believes in a merit system, uh, much like Canada has. There are points for skills and you can evaluate in how you move those people in. So it's, it's not certainly turning a deaf ear or a blind eye to what the needs are. So how do you look at the rhetoric around it then? What do you, when you look at this, what is, do you think the message it sends across the world to well, people? Well, I think that the president is very definitely, uh, it's no secret, he wants to build a wall. Mm-hmm. He wants to I've keep, heard. I've heard him say Yeah, it. you've heard him say that. Yeah, yeah. He wants to keep illegal immigrants out. He wants to stop drug trafficking from coming in. And he really does believe, as other countries have, have seen success, you know, with walls, that we need a firmer... Um, a firmer border. There's walls, there's technology that's added to it, it's the whole thing, but we're not monitoring and policing our borders well enough. And, uh, and it really bre- it breaks his heart and infuriates him all at the same time. When you, when you see gangs, you know, that are coming in and they, uh, and, and I'm not for a second saying majority of people who are coming in are gangs, but there are I'm glad some you're of not, those. Because Clearly, and I don't believe that. Right. And I certainly don't believe that. Look, we're a nation of immigrants. Right. And, uh, that, and that's how we've evolved. And so uh, I, want, I want to see a good immigration policy that is going to... Uh, so what, what happens to... Because this is, again, at the heart of small business, the heart of innovation, the heart of job creation. Um, what will it take now to solve DACA, solve these kind of things? I think the conversations have to continue. And there is some middle ground to be reached, and we just have to keep reaching for that middle ground. All right, let's talk about entrepreneurship. You, okay. you, someone said you were, your, your husband, uh, Vince, was the out, Mr. Outside, the one getting his head shaved by Donald Trump <laughs> and things like that, and you were the inside person. Can you talk a little bit about what you think made you an entrepreneur? Because you, you, you had gone bankrupt when you did an evil Knievel disaster at some point, right? Is that correct? That's true. Yeah. You, would it, you pay too much for evil Knievel to jump something? Or I'm not, what was happened? Well, he just didn't exactly do what he said he was going to do. He didn't make it across the canyon. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And so you're, you went bankrupt and you mm-hmm. started WWA. Can you talk a little bit about your entrepreneurship? That wasn't the cause of the bankruptcy. Right. 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 But it wasn't a good situation. No, it was not a good situation. Right. Um, it wouldn't have been good if he fell in the canyon either. Definitely right? not. We didn't want that. Right. Uh, he did go into the canyon, was yeah. not hurt. Presenter. So we were very happy so he was not hurt. So talk a little bit about WWE and where, how you looked at that. Because a lot of people, you know, they thought it was sort of a sidelight. I was telling Linda, my grandfather was a wrestling promoter. And I met Andre the Giant when I was six years old um, and spent a lot of time at wrestling matches. And I did know they were fake even when I was six. But talk a little bit about that world, what, how you looked at that as an entrepreneur. Well, uh, my husband, Vince, uh, is third generation in this particular industry. And now our children are fourth generation in this particular industry. So Vince never wanted to do anything in his life except be involved in this industry. Right. Uh, to build the business. His father had a little northeastern regional promotion up in uh, New England, as far south as Washington. And so really it was his drive to want to be in this particular industry. I, uh, you know, we all have our strengths. Mine was not the creative, innovative side of that, but clearly mine was to help manage it, how to execute it, how to put the things in place. You know, everyone needs, uh, someone once asked me, he said, can you describe the difference in your role and Vince's roles or Dreamer's roles and people like you. And I said, look, I've often told Vince, people like him make the world go round. Mm-hmm. People like me have to keep it on its axis, let's say, so it doesn't spin out of control mm-hmm. and it goes in the right places. And so that was really my role and my job. And how do you look at the industry now? Because it's sort of, you've got, you've got social media now, you've got products, 
you've got pay-per-view. When you look at the industry as it's developed. Oh my goodness, it's just really exploded. Really exploded a great deal because of technology. Right. And WWE consumers are early adapters of technology. Mm -hmm. And we learned early on, I mean, the, the first sort of technology of them producing television, I wanted to communicate with our fans with a newsletter. And we were doing a print newsletter. I couldn't get it out fast enough. It became too expensive. I said, there has to be a way to do it. So I brought in AOL and CompuServe at the time and sat down and talked about right. you know, how, how they could do that. We eventually made a deal with AOL. Mm -hmm. So we were one of the first big content providers on AOL, and we actually helped build up their subscriber base and got a piece mm -hmm. of the, um, the su subscriber fee. Mm -hmm. uh, at first, it was good business for us, but it broadened our reach. Mm -hmm. I was never interested in being in the technology business because mm -hmm. it changes and goes too fast. You folks out there are creating it, God bless you. I have no ability to do that. It's, it's expensive, it changes. And um, we wanted, though, to be able to utilize all of the platforms of technology. Mm -hmm. So our goal as content providers was to make sure that we could develop that content for all of the platforms so that our consumers could get it when they wanted it, how they wanted it, and, and on what device they wanted to get it on. Mm -hmm. So that has driven a lot of the continuing growth of our WWE. And it was so much fun and so fascinating uh, you know, to be there and be part, to see a lot of that growth. And what do you think it's going? You're doing pay-per-view, you're doing a lot of social media. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think is the most important part to the growth of it? Because it's actually kind of, it's an entertainment, right? You, you got oh. it categorized not as a sport, but it is. Clearly, I, yes, I was the first one to testify that it was uh, entertainment and that it was scripted entertainment and the outcomes were determined. So fake news. It was like, really. it was like a shock right. wave that yeah. went across. Right. But that was real news. Yeah, it was real news. Yeah. <laughs> we were correcting the fake news. Right, right, that it wasn't. Um, well, thank you for that. <laughs> horror about the news. Um, but so you, so what do you think the most, where it's going? Where do you imagine this kind of thing as someone who's created content and media? Uh, I want you to put your hat on as an entrepreneur. What do, what do you imagine happening? Because there's a lot of publishers, media people. Well, um, in terms of WW, and I'm not there. Right. I'm not guiding. No. And I left in 2009. So these yeah. things that I'm watching and right. talking, you know, to the right. folks who are still there. But it's like, okay, what is, what is that next level that you're going to take it to? First of all, WWE had international growth. Right. Uh, to, you know, it's now seen in um, over 180 countries and translated by 25 languages. Right. But it is that technological growth that really is the forefront. Like, what's next? You know, the, uh, we have the WWE Network, which OTT, 24-7, mm -hmm. um, incredibly successful network. But that was a disruption in WWE's revenue flow because there were 12 pay-per-views, mm -hmm. and pay-per-view was one of the largest contributors sure. shown on cable and satellite, and we charged between $45, dollars $50, dollars Those are the ranges I remember. So now the network, you can subscribe to the network for $9.99 a month, and you get all the pay-per-views. That was a real disruption and paradigm shift in revenue. So it was a risk to take that kind of a risk. Mm -hmm. uh, but now there are about 2.2 million subscribers to the network. It's global and continues to grow. So that volume has clearly not only made up for it, but surpassed. You know, so what revenues. do you think the key lesson as an entrepreneur is this constant change or what? I think, the, <laughs> I think the key message to entrepreneurs is 
You have to take risk. By uh, Entrepreneur, by definition, is a risk taker, but a moderate risk taker so that you're not putting everything on the line all the time. So you have to try to manage your downside, but you have to take risk and you have to not only look at opportunities as they come along, but you also oftentimes have to create opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, I think that's one of the reasons of WWE's uh, great success. We're gonna need some questions from the audience, but last question, when The Rock runs, who are you gonna vote for? <laughs> <laughs> that's assuming he will. <laughs> if he does, what do you do, Linda? Who's he gonna run against? Donald Trump. Well, he, if he was running against me, I'd have to vote for me. If he's running against maybe Stephanie McMahon, I might have to vote for, I wouldn't, not might, I would. I'm talking about president. I'm talking about president. I know, you're talking about You're trying president. not to answer the question, right? No. <laughs> right. I don't think that likely is, is a likelihood, but if it does, I, I would uh, stick with the president that has having great results. All right, you're not getting off that. All right, okay, good. <laughs> We're gonna take another break to thank sponsors who bring this show to you. We'll return to this interview from the Code Conference after this. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. By 2050, the world population will reach nearly 10 billion and food production will need to grow by 70%. What if artificial intelligence could help? Farmers are already using it to help increase crop yields. Watson and the IBM Cloud provides access to weather data and analyze satellite imagery to help them monitor soil moisture levels and to reduce water waste. So as the population grows, more food can be put on tables. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com smart. This season on This Sounds Serious. 911, what's your emergency? Uh, it's my brother. I, uh, I think he's dead. It was quite possibly the most confusing case I've ever been a part of. Well, I guess I do have some splaining to do because I did get my tips frosted. We were way ahead of the boy band thing. He joined a f***ing cult. You are going to meet face-to-face -face with a murderer. Plus, it's Florida. Everyone's a criminal there. It's like America's Australia. Uh, would you want to comb a mini horse? Uh, um... Now, can you imagine trying to do the weather without saying thunder? It looked like he was French kissing the waterbed. Twins identical twins. This Sounds Serious launches May 1st. Download it on CastBox or wherever you get your podcasts. There was a guy in my cult. He was like, uh, hey, everybody, I think we should kill ourselves. And we were all like, uh, yeah, okay, Todd, you go first. All right, questions from the audience, please. Hey, um, Teddy Schleifer with Recode. There's this perception out there, obviously, as you know, that uh, people with money have too much power in politics these days, and President Trump kind of ran against that, right? Drain the swamp. You were one of the biggest donors in 2016 to the president, a few months later, appointed to head the SBA. I'm just curious, like, what your argument is for folks out there who are skeptical of the administration's ability to actually curb the influence of money in politics when they look at a lot of donors who end up, you know, in part at least, kind of having access to people in power. I'm just What's the best argument you can make to, to skeptics who say that the administration hasn't done enough to keep uh, you know, opportunities like heading the SBA open to a lot of people? Well, let me just suggest to you, uh, not suggest to you, but uh, tell you what the president said to me when he called me in and asked me if I'd take on this job. And um, clearly I've known him for 25 years, but he said to me, he said, look, I want somebody who's actually built a business who knows what that's like, who knows what it's about, who can walk the walk and talk the walk, who's had successes and failures. He said, will you consider running this agency? And I told him yes. 
And I think he looked at me, uh, and I think my credibility was there to run the SBA. I was, uh, I've been a big donor, uh, and I'll, it, it takes money to run campaigns, and you have to contribute to the people that you think can be successful. Hi, Kara. Hi, Linda. Uh, Josh Topolsky from The Outline. Um, so diversity is obviously a big topic right now. And uh, I'm wondering how, um, you know, Trump has obviously, you know, the president has been very outspoken in his, um, his views on diversity, banning trans people in the military, uh, calling Mexicans rapists and drug dealers, uh, you know, saying neo-Nazis in Charlottesville were good people. And so I'm wondering how his uh, rhetoric and attitudes on diversity or lack thereof has impacted your work with small businesses or, or you know, if it has at all. <laughs> wow, that's a, certainly a loaded premise uh, to start with. I'd have to push back a little bit, uh, a bit defensively to say that, uh, you know, some of your comments are clearly taken out of context. He doesn't call all Mexicans. He doesn't say all of that, but that's really how it's presented. Um, but it has not affected my work at all at SBA because clearly, um, and, and also in the Donald Trump that I have known even before he was president, had great diversity uh, in his companies and is well thought of for the diversity that he had within this in his companies. And as far as SBA goes, you know, we, we have a very uh, diverse environment, not only in the people who were working there, but in the small businesses, I mean, a lot of the programs, I think about, uh, as I said a, a moment ago, about, uh, about a third of the loans go to women. We've had um, about 41% of the loans that went to uh, minorities uh, last year. Uh, we also have programs to do outreach to minorities. We have hub zone programs, which are in areas of, uh, that need economic development, and the loans are going in there to uh, help those areas uh, get government contracts to help them grow. And what that does is there are people who have to live in that, in that city or in that hub zone designated area, which normally are uh, in cities, have to live there and work there in order for that contracting to be fulfilled. So it's growing the economic area and completing the diversity of that. So I think there are good programs uh, for outreach uh, for minorities, for women, um, as well as many other programs. I think we're, we're seeing a lot of good growth. Our loan guarantees uh, for this full-time part of the year compared to last year up about 5%. So that's, uh, that's, that's good growth in, um, in the guaranteeing of those contracts, those loans. Great, thank you. Mm -hmm. Hi, Lisa Dickey. Um, my question, I, I, you made really good points about the fact that it's absolutely true that the president has uh, been able to achieve a lot of things. He's done a lot of things. The other side doesn't like to, dip, to give credit for the fact that he's been really um, effective in certain ways. But I think I wanted to sort of mention one of the things that really is troubling to people is how often he tells untruths. And it can be from little unimportant things like this was the biggest inauguration ever to things that are really significant, that he just does not tell the truth. I'm wondering, does that bother you? And then also sort of secondarily, you know, even you yourself on stage said, you know, he's one of the hardest working presidents we've ever had. And I, and I wonder, like, where does that come from? I mean, this guy golfs more than any president we've ever had, certainly. But I think, like, I mean, I'm all for bipartisanship. I want us all to be able to sort of have these conversations and dialogues. But this whole thing about the way that he manipulates the truth, I find extremely troubling. And I think a lot of people on the other side do. So I was wondering if you could speak to that. 
Well, thank you for raising that issue. Uh, I don't find in my interaction with him uh, that there is anything that he has said when I've been in his presence that was uh, not true. I do think the media blows things out of proportions and twists things sometimes. Uh, and so I think we just have to, uh, I think we have to parse through and, and, and find out exactly what it is he's saying. But what about sure last week when, when they gave a briefing, for example, and you can't answer for everything, I get that. Um, <laughs> but last week there was a briefing by an administration official with 200 reporters and he tweeted that, it, where did they make this up? But it was actually being organized by the administration. So it's that kind of stuff. I think you're, that's little. Yeah, I mean, I he, didn't may hear not, that. I he might not tell it. untruths to you, but I think it'd be very difficult for you to suggest that he's not regularly telling untruths. These are demonstrably untrue things. And, and again, I'm like, I, we all want the president to succeed. We want the country to be great. We'd all like to be united. But one of the biggest problems is this, he just does this over and over and over again. And I, and I don't get that. I don't get that, and I'm just wondering if there's any, I get that he doesn't do it to you maybe, but I mean, do you, do you acknowledge that in public he says things that are demonstrably untrue? And is that a problem? I have found on both sides that he's misquoted, and sometimes he does say things that he retracts and revisits upon looking at it again. All right, thanks. Late in the Obama administration, there was a proposed international entrepreneur rule that would allow people um, who are starting a business in the U.S., creating jobs, starting small businesses to come to the U.S. Um, the Trump administration is trying to end that program. I'm curious, as a small business administrator, what is the um, logical argument for why the international entrepreneur rule or a startup visa is a bad idea? What's the argument there? Uh, I'm sorry, I can't speak to that. Uh, I'm, I'm not familiar with it. You're, as the head of the SBA, you're not familiar with the not international... With that particular, not with that particular rule. Okay, thank you. All right. Last one. Uh, yes. Welcome um, to Silicon Valley, by the way. <laughs> Listen, oh. I applaud all of the work that all of you do and on all of the opinions that are offered, and I think debate is good and healthy, and that's what our country's about. Yeah, okay. Uh, the... Uh, the <laughs> 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 teasing you. Um, this isn't fake, though, like, right? It's like <laughs> wrestling. So later, Linda and I are going to go at it for three rounds, but go ahead. Over the last dozen years, under both administrations, so not a partisan question here, the rate of business formation in this country has dropped dramatically from what it was in the 70s, 80s, 90s, actually going back to World War II. Why has that happened, and what can you do to change that? Well, I think that's what we are trying to do. Uh, SBA clearly in helping small businesses and entrepreneurs develop and grow those businesses will help to fill that gap. And we are seeing more of small businesses start. I think in like for larger businesses, I mentioned, you know, OTC a little bit earlier. Um, uh, UTC, not OTC, UTC up in Connecticut. And I think you see a lot of bigger businesses now that are branching out to take advantage, I think, of the tax laws the new tax law uh, for investment and for growth. And uh, so I think that is another thing that you're gonna see uh, that is going to raise more businesses and have more businesses grow. Yeah, but what I was saying is the number of small businesses started each year uh -huh. is actually much smaller, including last year, than it was for you know, most of the post-war period. What's changing that? I think what's changing that is the view of optimism that you see from small businesses now that didn't exist even a few years ago. 
Uh, when I was, you know, I have been now to 39 states uh, in the past year, and I've talked to over 700 uh, business owners and business roundtable discussions. Um, and, and without a doubt, they have talked to me about you know, their level of optimism, that they're growing, that they're going to invest. Tax cuts was a big issue to them. And when tax cuts passed, the focus then became, believe it or not, a skilled workforce. And we could probably spend a whole hour talking about the skilled workforce. So I think you were saying um, entrepreneurs at a time of not knowing what tax policy was going to be, how they were going to be supported, was there going to be revenue to help them grow loans, if you will, to help them grow and start their businesses. So that's changed, and uh, you're, you'll see now, I believe, more growth. Okay, Linda, are you going to run for office again? You run twice. I, I have no plans to run for office. Not, not next time. All right. No. All right. You've been a very good sport. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bridges, not all. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this interview from the Code Conference 2018. We'll be releasing all of the interviews from this year's event in this podcast feed and on Peter Kafka's show, Recode Media. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Recode Media with Peter Kafka to hear interviews with people like 21st Century Fox CEO James Murdoch, Spotify CEO Daniel Eck, and Facebook COO and CTO Sheryl Sandberg and Mike Schrepfer. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell other people about the show. And don't miss my other podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask, You can find that show and Recode Media wherever you listen to Recode Decode. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Recode Decode. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Saturday. Tune in then. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. 16 million new-collar jobs will be created by 2024. To help fill them, IBM's new education model gives high school students workplace experience and an associate's degree. 90 P-Tech schools are already preparing graduates for tomorrow's STEM careers. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash p-tech.